0: from the heart of our nation's capital here's family research council president tony perkins hello friends my name is joseph backholm i'm a senior fellow for biblical worldview at family research council and it is my pleasure to be sitting in for tony and with you today and we are so grateful that you have chosen to spend a few minutes with us. I want to remind you that this and every episode of Washington Watch can be found at TonyPerkins.com. Today on the show, down in Louisiana, logis- legislation would ban certain forms of therapy. We'll talk to the Louisiana Solicitor General about what that bill would do and why it's so problematic for religious freedom. In addition, a pastor who defeated the state of California over church shutdowns is out with a new book and an important message for the church. We'll talk to that pastor about his lawsuit and what has happened since then. Also, despite winning the White House, the left is very unhappy with what's happening in America. Is this best explained by political developments or worldview developments. That's part of the conversation we will have at the end of the program in our worldview segment with David Clausen today. Now for the top story of the day of the week, maybe even the year, who knows? Because in 1949, George Orwell wrote a futuristic book called 1984 about a totalitarian government of the future. You may be familiar One component of that government was the Ministry of Truth, which existed to tell people what was true and what was not true. Well, in testimony before Congress this week, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas revealed stunning news about a new layer of bureaucracy established by the Biden administration.
1: We have just established Uh, Mis- and Disinformation Governance Board in the Department of Homeland Security to more effectively um, combat uh, this threat, not only to election security, uh, but to our homeland security.
0: It's not called the Ministry of Truth, but it seems to serve a very similar purpose. Now, this news comes amidst a continuing crisis On our southern border, reports that the nation's GDP declined 1.4% in the year's first quarter. There's runaway inflation and the ongoing energy crisis. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Ron Estes. He's a member of the House Committee on Ways and Means, the Border Security Caucus, and the Joint Economic Committee. He represents the 4th District, the great state of Kansas. Congressman Estes, welcome to Washington Watch.
1: Well, thank you, Joseph. It's good to be on.
0: Well, a lot happening uh, with Secretary Mayorkas this week. He made headlines about his border statements, his claims that domestic terrorism is the biggest threat to our nation, and the misinformation and disinformation governance board. What was your reaction to all this?
1: Well, it it really is a sad state that our, our government's not doing what it should be. I mean, the Biden administration is responsible for the security of the country. I mean, that's one of the key roles of the federal government. And and they're failing to do that. I know part of that the security aspect is, it, is making sure that we have good sound borders. Part of it's making sure that we have a strong country. And and they're, they're they're missing the boat. We've had since President Biden's come into office, had nearly two and a half million people that have invaded across the border, broke the US laws in the process. You know, that, that's roughly one percent of the population of the United States. So basically, that's what's happened in, in a little over a year. And, and, and I was really disappointed with their discussion today or this week about having a, a ministry of truth. You know, you think back, uh, people like Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin, they had ministries of truth. And it's sad to think that, that in the United States of America, the Biden administration wants to have one of those ministries of truth so that they can dictate what free speech really is.
0: Congressman, I do want to talk about that for a moment with you, because, of course, they're not calling it the Ministry of Truth. They're calling it the Disinformation Governance Board. Uh maybe this is a distinction without a difference, but what can the federal government do? Because in theory, we all actually dislike disinformation, but the idea that the government has the ability to determine what is and is not disinformation is problematic. Any idea how the Biden administration uh, intends to enforce its jurisdiction to determine what is
1: true and what is not? Well, it's kind of scary to think about the roads they could go down in terms of looking at uh, uh, restrictions, looking at laws, looking at regulations, uh, just because you don't say the politically correct thing that they want you to do. Uh, it's really what we should be doing is let's talk about the truth and, and focus on what the facts are. And now we see over and over again, things that come out of the White House, uh, things that come from the White House spokesman in general, uh, uh, things that just aren't true. Uh, You see it a lot in the mainstream media that they won't uh, talk about the truth, won't talk about Hunter Biden's laptop, won't talk about the the Wuhan lab leak uh, of the the coronavirus. So it's really sad that uh, they're now taking that a step further and going to dictate to us as American citizens what the politically correct speech is that we can do.
0: We see this same sentiment being expressed on social media, many examples of people being banned, uh, n- no longer to speak because they say really controversial things like boys can't be girls. And so the idea that the government would also get into that business, I think is troubling. But one of the things that Secretary Mayorkas said is that this disinformation governance committee was necessary in order to secure the border as well as protect elections. You've mentioned the border. Uh, do you believe that as a just? for this new department?
1: Well, I, I don't know what he, what he was referring to in terms of if, if the federal government is, is determining what, uh, what we can say, how that makes the border any more secure or not. I mean, the, the facts are is that we've had nearly 1% of the U.S. population uh, that a, a, an additional a number of people that have crossed the border equivalent to 1% of the U.S. population. And, and the fact of the matter is, is Secretary Mayorkas isn't doing his job. I mean, he's supposed to secure the border. He's supposed to make sure that the US laws are followed. And instead, there, you know, if you compare March of 2022 with March of 2020, there's over 500% increase in the number of illegal uh, migrants that have crossed the border. And for that to happen, uh, you, you see along with that, not just the issues around human trafficking, but we've seen the cartels on the Mexican side literally make billions of dollars over the last 15 months. Have you seen the drugs increasing as we've come across? You know, fentanyl's increased over 55% in terms of what they've seized, not counting what's gotten away. And we now know that uh, overdoses are the leading cause of death for 18 to 45 year olds. So it's not just a problem uh, in, in border states, but it's a problem throughout the United States.
0: We are talking to Congressman Ron Estes from the great state of Kansas. And Congressman, uh, Secretary Mayorkas did talk a lot about the border. He said that he believed that the Biden administration had, quote, effectively managed the border. But he also had this to say. Let's play clip one.
1: Under this administration, our department has been executing a comprehensive strategy to secure our borders and rebuild our immigration system. With the Title 42 public health order set to be lifted, We expect migration levels to increase as smugglers seek to take advantage of and profit from vulnerable migrants. A
0: congressman, uh, he references Title 42 there, which has gotten a lot of attention in the last uh, couple of months. But he seems to be suggesting that he knows revoking Title 42 will make the situation at the border worse, but they're going to do it anyway. Is that how you understand that?
1: It, 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 that's their plan. That's the direction they're taking. And uh, I don't know how he got the definition that he's effectively managed the border. I mean, even President Obama, uh, their homeland security looked at if there were a 1000 people a day that they were encountering coming across the border, that was a crisis and a bad number. We're already up to 7000 and The current uh, Mayorkas' Homeland Security is estimating that that will go up to 18,000 people a day coming across the border if they lift Title 42. And it's it's an issue that, that we as Republicans are talking about. But also Democrats are talking about it as well. I mean, they're seeing that the, the facts aren't aligned up with what Secretary Majorkin and the Biden administration are saying, and that we really ought to do things to secure the border, like finish building the wall. I mean, those are, we have components of the wall that are there uh, that they just won't, they won't finish the job. Yeah.
0: It really is a staggering number, 18,000 people per day. That's a that's a mid-sized American town coming across the border every single day of the year. But of course, this Title 42 revocation issue is a subject of litigation. Several states have filed lawsuits. President Biden said this yesterday regarding those lawsuits. Let's play clip four.
2: We had proposed to eliminate that policy uh, by the end of May, the, the court has said we can't so far, and what the court says we're going to do. The court could come along and say we
1: cannot do that, and that's it.
0: Congressman, what's your
1: response to that? Well, President Biden and Secretary Mayorkas are very disingenuous in terms of what they're talking about. Um, the court has ruled that the Remain in Mexico policy should have been re-implemented uh, after President Biden ended that. Uh, they're, they're dragging their feet and, and, and paying lip service to actually doing that. Uh, My fear is they'll do the same thing with Title 42, where the courts have clearly ruled that they should not uh, eliminate that provision, uh, that they need to to maintain that as a policy ongoing. And I I hope that they will start to follow the orders that are coming down the court and make sure that that they're actually obeying what the laws are in the land.
0: Congressman, Manestas, one other issue I'd like to get in with you in our remaining moments. Big news this week that the economy had actually shrunk 1.4% in the first quarter of this year. You serve on the Ways and Means Committee. You monitor these things. What's happening in the economy that, that allows us to determine there's actually been a shrinkage in the economy?
1: Yeah, it, that really is a devastating news that came out yesterday in, in terms of looking at that, that uh, the, uh, the net GDP has gone down 1.4%. Uh, you know, the, when we talk about the U.S. economy, we talk about all the different components. We talk about businesses making investments. We talk about uh, consumer spending. We talk about how much we import versus export, uh, which means, uh, tells us whether whether we're sending our money outside of the country or whether we're, uh, we're exporting our goods and bringing uh, income into the country. And right now, what we're seeing is, is that, the, you know, American wealth is leaving the country. And that was the biggest component that came out yesterday in terms of looking at uh, how the, the uh, GDP is going down is that uh, we're taking American wealth and sending it uh, overseas in terms of uh, buying imports that come in instead of exporting the products that we produce. And and yes, the consumers are buying uh, continuing to buy through the first quarter. Uh, we're seeing some of that, uh, particularly as they've used up the, uh, the, uh, the stimulus money uh, that was given out over the last two years. Uh, but with inflation that's ramped up, basically consuming all of that now over the course of the year, uh, it's going to be difficult for consumers to, to uh, continue to spend it the way they have been. And, you know, the first, the first quarter is, uh, is the start of a, a recessionary period if you get two quarters in a row when the, uh, the economy starts to contract. And so uh, that's something to be very cautious of as we look at the second quarter now.
0: That would be very concerning. Congressman, in about 30 seconds, if possible, is the inflation that we're experiencing connected to the to the decline in GDP?
1: Oh, the, the inflation is connected to how much money is being chasing this, the few goods that are out there. I mean, that's what every economist will tell you is the driver of inflation. And so we've seen all this money being spent by all these big programs. I mean, there were over $3.1 trillion added to the U.S. economy last year borrowed from china and other places and and now we're seeing the results of that you know the average american family is going to be spending over fifty two hundred dollars every year more for this biden inflation and and that's going to offset uh, all the money that they were given uh, as part of stimulus money so it's really going to have an going forward, forward
0: unfortunately we are out of time but we greatly appreciate your time with us today thanks for being with us
1: thank you joseph
0: Coming up next in Louisiana, a counseling ban. We'll talk about it when we come back.
3: Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, We'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview, The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a Biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the Center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council,
4: it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a text subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph back home, sitting in for Tony. Tony, will be back in the chair with you on Monday. Until then, there was good news this week from the state of Louisiana. As a state house committee, rejected legislation banning specific types of counseling for children. The ban on so-called conversion therapy regulates even conversations that a therapist could have with a minor client. Now, what's motivating the effort to pass the bill what's the future of the issue in Louisiana. Joining me now to discuss it is the Louisiana Solicitor General, Liz Murrell. Solicitor General Murrell, welcome to Washington Watch.
5: Thanks, thanks for having me.
0: It's good to have you. Now, a lot of people may not be familiar with this issue. Practically speaking, what would happen for people in Louisiana if this bill were to become law?
5: You know, I think it would inhibit conversations about gender and about ordinary sort of male-female relationships because it prohibits counselors from questioning someone's thoughts and feelings where they may be experiencing some kind of gender dysmorphia. It, It only permits you to affirm any of their questions or feelings instead of actually having a discussion about it and talking about any potential downside to any kind of non-heterosexual you know, relationship, basically.
0: Now, this debate over conversion therapy in the United States is not new. But I think it's important that it really got momentum when the focus was on the L, the G and the B in the LGBT suite. And it was it was about not being able to pray the gay away, as they would say sometimes. But more recently, uh, the emphasis and the priority has been on the T. But the legislation tries to paint them all with a broad brush and says in the same way that you can't try to make somebody not be gay, you essentially can't help a boy become comfortable with his body if it uh, if he experiences gender dysphoria. Is that what this is doing as well as treating both of these situations, though they are very different identically?
5: Yeah, it's very broad. I mean, that's one of the problems with the language of this bill is that it uses such broad, broad language. Um, I mean, if I could just define it a little bit in the bill, it says conversion therapy means any practice or treatment conducted without a person's consent. In other words, if a parent sends, you, sends their child to a Christian counselor, which is intended to change the person's sexual orientation or gender identity, including efforts to change behaviors or gender expressions or to eliminate or reduce sexual or romantic attractions or feelings toward individuals of the same sex or gender Um, It it also includes two spirit. I mean, I'm not sure exactly what that covers, but in defining who it covers, it covers people who identify as two spirit. Um, You know, we just keep expanding the alphabet to come up with different expressions of someone's physical identity or, or their, their, how, what they feel they are in their brain and their head, compared to what their body says they are, um, and and separating these things from what they believe, basically saying that what your physical body tells you is a social construct. I, I, I have a problem with it myself. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and I think your your definition there is important, and the breadth of the definition is important because it would it appears uh, prohibit a counselor from helping a minor child with something, for example, a porn addiction. If it happened to be you know, homosexual pornography, you couldn't deal with that if the if it required you to reduce or eliminate same sex attraction. And so it has really really broad implications. But one of the things that people are concerned about in this legislation is whether it affects churches and religious organizations and the ability to minister in their, simply their religious capacity. Does this bill affect churches?
5: Look, I think it does. I mean, I think it does because the language is very, very broad. And I sat through committee testimony um, on this bill, and there were a number of people that kept saying, it doesn't say anything about religion in this bill, but by its very terms, it exposes Christian counseling to, in, in its current form, criminal violations. I mean, it turns it into a criminal conduct. Now, there's a, there is an amendment to take out the criminal penalties, but a, a counselor who characterizes themselves as a Christian counselor, and we have a whole bunch of them just down the street at First Presbyterian Church um and then basis basically their counseling and christian beliefs would violate this law because if you believe in relationships and heterosexual relationships and you believe in a biblical view then you would actually be violating this law if you counseled somebody about that a child particularly if they're a minor you would be violating the law and you could lose your license as a counselor
0: these bills have been passed in other states. There has been significant litigation around them. Court rulings in Florida, Georgia, and Alabama have blocked these counseling bans. They are effect in they are in effect in other states. Can you tell us the status of the litigation around this issue?
5: I, I, I haven't looked at all the, the litigation around the country on this issue. I suspect it's different depending on what the state is and what their particular you know political orientation is for for starters but also the language in their bill so there was a lot of discussion in committee about narrowing the language in this bill and defining what conversion therapy what part of conversion therapy might actually be prohibited so I I think that that legally that the committee could likely pass a law that would prohibit certain types of actual medical conduct like electroshock therapy on a minor but what i don't think they can prohibit is speech and that's what they are trying to do they are trying to penalize counselors for engaging in what they believe to be the proper counseling of an individual um, and to to expose them to losing their license based on what they say
0: And that is one of the important issues, and and Solicitor General Morrill, we appreciate your time very much today. One of the other important issues that I'm sure is being investigated in Louisiana is often these are pushed with no evidence that there's any abuse taking place in the jurisdiction. They they talk about abuse and manipulation of minors, which everyone is opposed to, and it's frankly already illegal under criminal statutes, but they use that as a justification to silence people's speech in the therapist's room. And we appreciate your efforts on this issue and your time today bringing this to our attention thanks for being with us
5: thank you glad to be here
0: we will continue to track that issue because it is just one of the many ways in which speech is under assault coming up next the pastor who sued the state of california and won over church lockdowns will be with us stay here Welcome back, friends, to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. A reminder that you can find this in every episode of Washington Watch at TonyPerkins.com. In 2020, Dr. Chae On, the pastor of Harvest Rock Church in Pasadena, California, filed a federal lawsuit on behalf of his and 150 other churches in California to defeat the unconstitutional restrictions and religious gathering placed by California Governor Gavin Newsom. Not only did he win this lawsuit, but the court even ruled that California had to pay Dr. Ahn's legal fees. Now, last month, Dr. Ahn released a book titled Turning Our Nation Back to God Through Historic Revival. And referencing historic global shakeups such as World War II and COVID-19, this book proclaims that darkness precedes the greatest light of revival. And joining us now to discuss this further is Dr. Che Ahn. Dr. Ahn, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here and give my love to Tony. I will do so. It's great to have you with us. And you've written now 15 books, I believe it is. What was it that that inspired you to write this book and focus on revival?
2: Well, I felt that during COVID, uh, 2020, 2021 in particular, people were very, very discouraged, hopeless. But throughout church history, we've always seen the darkest time before the light of revival break out. And it's based on scripture, not just history. Isaiah 60, one through 3 says, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Darkness covers the earth deep darkness over the people, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear before you. And then it says in verse three, nations will come to your light and the kings of the brightness of your dawning. So we know that the harvest is going to be great in a time of darkness. And so two other times in 2000 years, have we seen every nation shaken? World War II, where every nation was involved, many people don't realize this, only eight nations declared themselves to be neutral, but everyone had to be aligned with the Allied forces or the Axis forces, Allied forces being United States, Great Britain, and Soviet Union. The Axis would be uh, Nazi Germany, uh, Japan, and Mussolini, Italy. And uh, and after the war, which ended in forty-five. Uh, 80 million people had died, and 80% of that were civilians. So it was a devastating war. And yet, right afterwards, three years later, we have some of the greatest Waves of Revival. Billy Graham launched his ministry in 48 and 49. He came to Los Angeles and it catapulted him into international fame. But we have what's called the Hebrides Revival off of Scotland 1948, even the Latter Rain Revival among the Pentecostals in North Badaford, Canada. And then you go into the Charismatic Renewal in 58, the Jesus People Movement right here in Southern California, 1967 with Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, Lonnie Frisbee. And uh, the list goes on. Now, the second time is with this COVID. And here we're seeing not just the COVID with the pandemic, we're talking about the lockdown, the egregious uh, lockdown like we experienced, the churches could not meet. By the way, in California, 49 states had opened for in-person worship, and we were the last state to open up for worship. And the only reason why we were able to worship is because we saw uh, we sued the governor Newsom and went to the Supreme Court and won. If we had not won, he could have just kept us locked down because he hates the church. He says that abortion clinics are essential. Even a strip club in San Diego was declared essential, but not the church. And so we wrote a letter to him and said, with due, all due respect, the church has been essential for 2,000 years. It is a hope of our society. And so we won the lawsuit by the grace of God and had a great attorney, Matt Staver, with Liberty Council. And so we give God all the praise and all the glory and right. honor. But nevertheless, we had to take a stand because it was a time of real darkness. And even our lawsuit, I think, is indicative of the light that's going to come. I, I believe that's great. we're going to see a tremendous move of the Holy Spirit in our nation. Doc, Dr. Rahm, um, and let me ask you a question about this,
0: um, because the, the, the title is, uh, is Turning Our Nation Back to God Through Historic Revival, and there's a lot of, as you know, debate about our country's history, and when you say turning back to God, what's your point of reference there? A lot of people would bristle at this idea that we're trying to go back to a time when things were better because there have always been problems. What do you mean by turning back to God?
2: Well, I believe when we founded our nation, I believe it began not in 1619, but in 1776. What people don't know, the Great Awakening began before that. And even uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield, primarily Whitfield, uh, came to America seven times in the early 1700s. And he rode by horseback from Georgia all the way to Maine, seven round trips each time he took a different route. Why? Because he wanted to reach different cities with the gospel. And 80% of Americans heard him. Thousands became followers of Jesus Christ, and that was the foundation of our nation being founded on biblical values. And a lot of our—I mean, everyone believed in God, whether they were— evangelical born again, that's another issue. I believe the majority of the signers, like 40%, 40 out of the 56, for example, uh, went to what we would call a traditional seminary. Back then, Yale, Harvard, uh, Princeton were uh, established to train pastors. Not that they all became pastors, but they were trained in that kind of environment. And, uh, And so even those who say that Franklin and Thomas Jefferson were Diaz. I, I beg to differ. I believe they believed in God. They were God-fearing, and they believed in the biblical values that helped establish our nation. So we need to go back to that. And, of course, that's what Second Chronicles 7.14 is all about because it's the key verse to revival. Revival always begins with God's people, not the world. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways. Yes, there's evil and, in the church. Chapter on?
0: I, unfortunately, I have to cut you off because we are out of time. But the book is Turning Our Nation Back to God Through Historic Revival. Get it wherever you get your books. And Dr. tayon thank you so much for being with us. We're going to continue the conversation about the state of the country in our worldview conversation with David Clausen when we come back. Why is the left so angry about what's happening in America despite winning elections? Stay with us.
6: even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty.
8: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council, and it is my pleasure to be with you and sitting in the chair for Tony today. So glad that you are spending a few minutes with us. According to a Democrat Party pollster, high information Democrat voters are not very enthusiastic about the state of President Biden's America. Here's a few of the words they used to describe how they feel about America today frustrated, frightened, aggravated, discouraged, resigned. Now, many in this audience may not be surprised by those results and may, in fact, share those sentiments. But is the dissatisfaction with politicians, even on the left when it's their politicians in office, is it a function of political developments or unrealistic expectations about what government is capable of accomplishing for people? Joining me now to discuss this, as we do every Friday, is David Kloss, he's the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council. David, good to see you today. Happy Friday great to be with you again Joseph happy Friday to you and and David uh, I've set up the, the the kind of this poll results and it's no surprise I don't think to anybody that there's a lot of frustrated Americans and you know we we, we know what gas prices are doing we know about inflation headline this week is we have an actual uh, shrink a shrinkage in the US economy and the size of the gross domestic Product. But it is interesting that even among those who have their guy in the White House, so to speak, they feel frustrated as well, maybe almost as frustrated as the people who voted for the other guy. What do you attribute that to? Well, I think
9: in your lean in, Joseph, I think that was really helpful. And I think uh, increasingly, it's, it's not a new development uh, that on the campaign trail, Uh, Politicians make grand and and large promises that if you vote for them, uh, they'll do, uh, you know, everything that uh, you want them to do. And uh, increasingly, I think people are beginning to believe that more and more. I think uh, I was over the weekend or this past week watching some clips from uh, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Senator Bernie Sanders, who are kind of getting on the president's case on student uh, forgiving or canceling student debt. And so I I think increasingly a lot of people on the left, uh, like you said, are frustrated with Biden because they think that he can just solve all of their problems when in a representative democracy like we have, the government by design it's not supposed to be able to solve all of our problems. And the fact that it can't, uh, people are now, even though their guys in power are getting frustrated with it.
0: I think there may also be something even more fundamental going on here, and this is the worldview segment, so I think we do need to frame this in terms of worldview, because when you're when you're talking about a leftist worldview, a progressive perspective, however you want to define that, it is very often an atheistic one, a secular one. It is one that assumes if there is a God, he's not really that interested uh, in, in what's happening. He mostly just wants us to be happy, and he certainly doesn't have any rules that he expects us to follow, and we're kind of on our own to do whatever makes. Us happy. And, or if you have a a fundamentally naturalist assumptions about the state of the world, you deny that there is anyone that you are accountable to for anything. And if you cannot look to God for help, for problems, or for perspective on what we're facing in life, The only alternative I think we have is government. Therefore, if government doesn't solve the problems, and and I guess before I say that, we should say, does that mean that we place unrealistic expectations uh, and hope that can never actually be delivered upon on our politicians, our favorite candidate, and just our political system in general?
9: Well, I think so, Joseph. Um, I think it was John Calvin who said, you know, all of us have, or might have been Blaise Pascal, said so we have a God-shaped vacuum. All of us are looking uh, to fill that, uh, that place of ultimate allegiance, that ultimate loyalty, uh, one we look to who can, can provide for those things. And I think increasingly, again, I don't want to say this has only happened in the last couple of years. This has happened for a, a while. But I think more and more people do look uh, to politics. They, people on the right and left do this. But people are increasingly looking to politics uh, to solve all of their problems, uh, to fulfill their deepest longings. And I think it's... You know, we're, we're seeing that that is not going to work out. That's not going to pan out for people, which is why, as Christians, we need to constantly go back to that biblical worldview. And that's where the, a, a right understanding of uh, the delegated authority that government has. Government has authority. It's, it's a derivative authority uh, that's ultimately subservient to the, the authority that God has. And so I think a right understanding of authority, a right understanding of how society should be structured, I think all of that as Christians, as we articulate that, hopefully can bring uh, more uh, appropriate expectations uh, for how people even look to their government for the things that they need.
0: If it is your instinct to look to... Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Barack Obama or whoever it is, it would be in Washington, D.C., to solve the pain in your life and the things that you're struggling with, it shouldn't really be a surprise that the words you would use to describe yourself are things like frustrated and frightened and aggravated. And David, The Christian worldview gives us someplace else to put our hope, right? And it gives us a perspective where when we see things going poorly, we're not really that surprised, uh, both because we expect broken people to do broken things, and that's what governments are made out of. So we can't be shocked when they do things that they shouldn't do and do things that aren't helpful, because we understand that the heart is in many ways self-serving and that we're always dealing with the consequences of that. But doesn't it give us a perspective that we can navigate uh, the, the political waves, the, the pendulum that swings back and forth in a way that allows us to maintain our peace? Well, I think
9: it does, Joseph. Um, and of course, the... the... The biblical worldview gives us an understanding to think about specific issues, and those are issues you and I talk about on this show all the time. Uh, The Bible gives us a perspective on life and family and religious freedom. But even taking a step back, which is what we're doing right now, I think the Bible does properly. um, It was Abraham Kuyper in his uh, sphere sovereignty, I think, at the turn of the previous century, helpfully uh, described how there are these different spheres of authority, the church and the family and, and government. And uh, at some places, those overlap and others, they need to be kept apart and respected, uh, kind of their jurisdictional sovereignty. And so, yes, I think the Christians, you know, I think Christians engaging in politics should be some of the most hopeful people you'll find anywhere. Because even if our bill dies in committee, even if our guy loses at the polls, at the end of the day, guess what? God is still on his throne. And the the, the heart of the king is in God's hand. And so I, I do think, Joseph, what you said there is just, you know, government 101 from a Christian perspective. We should be some of the most hopeful people in the world because of our categories of God's sovereignty and his providential working in history
0: and as christians as we engage in this environment in this sphere uh, we have to keep this top of mind so that our initial reaction to people's frustration and their hopelessness is not hey our guy will do it better and then he will be the answer to your yeah. to your frustrations he won't be there's not a blue red right left solution to the hole in our hearts and in the in the just the challenges of life on earth and and of course Some ideas are better than others, and that's why we talk about this. But ultimately, what we want to do is provide people a a perspective and a hope uh, that allows them, whatever the results are on earth, our hope is ultimately in the fact that Jesus is going to redeem and restore it all. And we all get to look forward to that and join him with, uh, join with him in that But David, I'm going to change the topic again, Uh, another news item that we talked about at the top of the show today with Congressman Ron Estes about this new disinformation governance board. And many of us are, are jokingly, but perhaps seriously referring to this as the ministry of truth, because that's what George Orwell referred to it as in 1984. And it seems to serve a similar purpose. But this idea, how do we think biblically about the idea of a disinformation? governance board where you have a government body determining what is and is not true and then presumably um, meeting out punishment if they determine something is not true. Yeah, I think my
9: first take, Joseph, when I heard about what uh, the DHS secretary said about this, I think they called it the disinformation governance board or what we're kind of referring to as the ministry of truth, Um, I'm a little wary of this, for sure, Um, for people who are kind of going to say that they're going to. And and Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, said that kind of they're going to be uh, monitoring misinformation on COVID or the election. But uh, pardon me if I don't trust that they're just going to keep that. Those are the only two issues they're going to focus on. The, The idea that a ministry of truth is going to be in the hands of people who believe that unborn babies are not humans and can be killed all throughout pregnancy Uh, That doesn't uh, make me feel confident. The idea that a ministry of truth will be in the hands of those who are telling us that we must use preferred pronouns uh, are the same people that that are telling us that boys can be girls, girls can be boys, the same people that are telling us that minor children uh, should be able to get uh, cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers, and even gender uh, surgeries. Um, That is, and also Joseph, I'll just say these are the same people also, who unfairly targeted uh, churches during the pandemic and either lied or, if we want to be charitable, at least changed their minds several times on what the science was. Um, Mm -hmm. They've shown animus towards those of us who have Christian convictions. So the idea that they're going to be arbitrators of truth um, should have all of us paying attention.
0: It is a very uh, fine line between, uh, well, I, the way they've defined the terms is they make no distinction between a lie and something they just disagree right. with. And that's where language is such a powerful tool. And of course, when you have this um, this disinformation governance board, it's intended to be part of that battle over words and language and give the official um Impromptu, I don't remember the word I'm thinking of, but the government approval for this idea that this is true and this is false and that's a really it's a dangerous thing, but from a worldview perspective, I think it does raise an important point for us because what we are getting at here is a recognition is that there aren't many people who are primarily interested in the truth. And the fact that somebody works for the government does not make them any more of a truth seeker than someone who does not work for the government, right? It doesn't make them incapable of being interested in the truth, but it certainly doesn't guarantee that that's their highest goal. But this raises an important point for us as believers, because we are susceptible to this same temptation, the same vulnerability, where we just want to believe something is true because it fits our narrative. Yeah. and it's convenient for us to believe it's true. So we don't really dig very deep. We hear it. It's what we want to believe. And so we believe it. What's the, resp- what's the best way to not fall prey to that?
9: I think the best way, Joseph, is to acknowledge what we just acknowledge. All of us have opinions. We all have beliefs. Uh, we all have strong feelings on certain things. But as Christians, first and foremost, we need to be people of the truth. In fact, as disciples of Jesus, who said in John fourteen six that he, what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, We we are people of the truth who follow the truth. And so as Christians, we ought to be known as people who pursue truth no matter where it leads us. But the issue is, Joseph, we live in a postmodern world. It's postmodernism believed in reason and science uh, to be able to provide reliable knowledge. Postmodernism now says uh, there is no such thing as actual truth with a capital T. Uh, There's only preferences. There's only uh, feelings. And so I think as Christians, we need to be aware of the times that we live in. Uh, postmodernism is uh, the dominant worldview uh, in America right now. And so as Christians, to, to answer your question directly, Joseph, as Christians, we constantly need to be evaluating the news, uh, seeing where our preferences are, our beliefs, our opinions, and being able to make sure that, we're not, uh, that we can disentangle those from the truth. Because Christians, first and foremost, ought to be known as people of objective, absolute truth.
0: And that means the willingness to disagree with somebody that we might otherwise like and, and ask critical questions. And David, the last topic I want to get into with you, I want to connect the dots in two stories that might seem unrelated. They've been in the news lately. The first, of course, is the parental rights bill in Florida. Lots of people are aware of that. Parents basically saying, we do not want kindergarten teachers or third grade teachers talking to our young children about gender identity or sexual orientation, things of that nature. Another story that was at the Supreme Court this week was Coach Joe Kennedy. He's a high school football coach who was fired from his job because he would not stop praying within sight of his students after football games. Now, the issue here uh, that the it uh, at the Supreme Court is one of coercion and whether it's problematic for authority figures in children's lives to coerce their students. But in both cases, the parents would say that they don't want their students coerced. but do we when it, when it comes to the parent the LGBT activist teachers in Florida or the praying coach in Washington, are they doing different things?
9: Well I, th- I think so, Joseph, and I think that's why we can't pick and choose uh, where we tell the truth. Uh, that, that the so-called don't say gay bill, that's the word gay obviously doesn't even appear in that bill. And so there was so much disinformation about that. Um, and with the case of Coach Kennedy, uh, there's been, you know, I think the left has shown itself willing to compel or coerce him to do something, yeah. and so there is a double standard. Which is, where is Christians? We need to come in and uh, be honest about everything that we're dealing with, and that's how we'll gain trust in
0: the long run. And David, to me, it begs the question: What if Coach Joe had just wanted to go to the 50-yard line and talk to his kids about condom usage and LGBT allyship? Right? Would he have lost his job? And I think the answer is no. And I think the reason that's important is that it's not really the coercion that they're concerned about. It's what are we coercing them toward? It's the left wants to coerce, mold, disciple children in a particular way. We want to as well. The challenge in public spaces is that we no longer agree on what direction, how we want to mold our children. So there's lots of conflict happening in these spaces. But, David, that's all the time we have for today. We'll cover more next week for sure. Thanks for being with us again on Friday. Thank you, Joseph. Friends, we thank you also for being with us this Friday. You really are the reason that this show happens. We couldn't do it without you. We hope that you have been encouraged and blessed to think clearly today on the program here on Washington Watch. Have a great weekend. We will see you on Monday. And until then, fear God and nothing else. We'll see you next time.
1: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is
0: brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported.